I am unashamed. What about you? For his endometriosis, which is, do you guys know what that is? No. You never heard. It's an issue with your with your ovaries in your reproductive system. Last time I checked, uh, I didn't have to fool with ovaries and what they were up to. <laughs> well, well, he, he, he didn't understand it, uh, Phil. He he thought he he thought he had a, he what he meant was fibromyalgia, but he said endometriosis. Well, what is so that? It does, it does. What is fibromyalgia? Well, that's some kind of like a inflammatory disease of the muscles um, related to serotonergic and dopaminergic neurotransmitters. Yeah, I'm not a doctor. How do I don't, you pray? I don't, I don't think his disease is coming from his ovaries. Well, it sounded <laughs> like to me he was looking for a miracle. I mean, we've we've had <clears throat> the supernatural, the fact that Jesus came from a virgin. Okay, I get that. But if somebody, I probably would have looked the word up and thought, hmm. I don't think none of us, me, you, or Zach, We'll ever have a struggle with our ovaries. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think we're going to have a problem there. But I, I have well, noticed this: half of the conversations that I have with my wife are due to yeah. a misunderstanding of something. Yeah. And and when you go back to our family, there's been a lot of misunderstandings with any I mean, family. Well, I mean, because you got K and Psy, they get half the English language wrong. They butcher it. Yeah. So you just think about, I mean, this is coming from, we were all talking about, when you look at the theme of Matthew 12 and 13, when he gets down to the good heart, the one out of four, he uses this phrase in Matthew 13 in verse 23, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soul is the man who hears the word and understands it. Yeah. He then produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And he tells all these parables in chapter 13. Plus one of the other uh, uh, gospels, I don't know which one it is, but said when the seed fell on a good and honest heart. Yeah. A, a, a human being has to be completely sold to say there is a God. Well, right. Yeah. Now, but he also said he used all these parables and the and part of the reason he said he used the the use of parables, he kind of explains that it's like Matthew takes a time out in verse 10 of chapter 13 and say, "Why do you speak to the people in parables?" Well, then Jesus quotes this in verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So there has to be some kind of seeking aspect yep. of a person's heart yep. to understand. I mean, if you look at the definition of understand, how would y'all define that? Grasp? It's it's yeah, faith. Think, it, without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever comes to him, which is what we're discussing here, must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we're basically sowing seed. If you, I, I've been taking a cursing many times like the first one, listen to what the, what the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the message, faith comes from hearing the message. You must believe he exists, God, and he'll reward you if you earnestly seek him. It, on that, well, everything is predicated on that for that first person. Because if you take a cursing when you deliver the message, God has become fleshed, died on the cross for your sin, been buried and raised from the dead, and he begins to curse you for that. Uh, that's the parable of the sower. The seed did not fall on good. He's not being honest with himself and with God, and there's a problem there. It, yeah. it, and then he goes through the other ways 
But the first one is they just don't get it, and the evil one snatches away what was sown in their heart. He just doesn't believe it. Yeah. I've seen it. I've dealt with it personally for all my life since I became a Christian and started sowing the seed. That comes up on a regular basis. Oh, it does. And I think one of the one of the uh, verses that comes to mind when you talk about understanding, and I think this is probably one of the most butchered verses in the, in the Bible, or at least misunderstood and misquoted, is Proverbs 3, 5, which is this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own, own understanding. And typically people say this when they when they come to like a maybe a theological issue that they don't quite grasp or, or something about God. They don't, oh, no, it's not, God doesn't expect you to understand. But you read the first five, six chapters of Proverbs. I mean, it's over and over again. It says things like this. Let the, let the wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands obtains guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the word of the wise and, and, uh, and their riddles. Um, he goes on to say in, in, in chapter one, um, those who diligently seek me, they're not going to, what does he say here? Uh, they will call upon me, but they won't answer because uh, they will they will seek me diligently, but won't find me. Here's the reason why, because they hated knowledge. He yep. says uh, in chapter two, incline your heart to understanding, raise your voice for understanding. Uh, the Lord gives wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Uh, blessed are those uh, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. And it's over. I mean, it's over and over again. It's like saying, like, God wants us to understand. And I think that there's a direct correlation with even what we were talking about, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's a rejection. It's a dishonesty in your heart that you're like, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to seek understanding of anything. And I think what the gospel, what Jesus is trying to say, no, I'm trying to help you understand reality so that I can give you life and give it to you abundantly. There's a, there's a mighty throng that when you first meet them, because they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gives them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. That's the first person in the parable of the sword. When anyone, they hear the message of the kingdom, they don't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. They just don't get it. Yeah. You say, look, the, 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 the reason they don't get it, though, it's not because it's too complex. It's because of what you said in Romans. They refuse to retain the knowledge of God. That's right. It's a willful. It's a willful misunderstanding. That's right. So God gives them over to do what ought not to be done. He just gives them over. He said, OK, you think you're going to get out of here alive without me? I'm going to show you something. And, and, and here we go. And that's just the first person. We're not him to the other two. Like Jay said, three out of four, thumbs down. Get out, get that Bible out of my face. I see it yeah. all the time. I just, I don't hold it against them. I just said, just think about it. There have been a few that after 10 years, they show back up. I've forgotten who they were. And they say, remember you told me that I, I should respond to the message about Jesus. And I cursed you and left your house in a cloud of dust. I said, I remember it. Vaguely, I said, but there have been a lot of them that's done that. He says, well, I'm here yeah. to tell you I've changed my mind about that. Well, that's a, I say, have a seat and let's talk. But my point is, what you got to define. Our job's not to attack them. We just say, just think about well, it. Well, who are we to attack? Yeah. That's right. But I'm saying when you define understanding, because you think you hear a story, or in the case of the Bible, you study and you try to get the point. Of course, you got to wade through how you were raised and what brand of religious group you were. And you might have been taught a certain thing and then you're reading in the Bible and then you gain a different understanding of something. I've had that happen all the time. Me like, too. Somebody who I respected told me something. And then the more I got to study and I think, you know, I don't, I don't think I agree with this. I mean, it's like yeah. the first time I heard Size Panther story as a youngster. I thought, I'm going to have to keep that in the back of my head because I may encounter a panther. And, and I wanted to have a plan on what I'm going to do if I'm attacked. But the more this went on and the more I started contemplating and grasping, trying to understand what's because I spent a lot of time in the woods, I thought, I don't think he 
I don't think he's actually seen a panther. I just think he thinks he's, he has seen one. No doubt. But when I first heard it, I thought, this is a game changer. This is not South America where there are a few roving, large black cats. This, yeah. is, this is South Louisiana. This is Louisiana here. Yeah, I told him about my new place in Tennessee, and I was like, you know, there's, it's rumored that there's a panther up there. He said, I t- I've been trying to tell you. Yeah. He, he, he's not budging that there are these big cats. I saw a to- black cat cross the road before daylight one morning. We'll see. But he planted the seed in your mind. And I went on up the road, and Cy was there. I said, Cy, we just got our, a, a, a visual of a black cat running from right to left. I asked the guy with me, what was that? And he said, a black cat. And I said, was it a panther? He said, I just think it was a large black house cat. So I told Cy that. And he said, see, you, even seeing, you don't believe. He That's said, what I'm saying. He said, it was a baby panther. Yeah. Well, and we did the same thing. He said, panthers have babies. You just saw a baby. We put the cat on his deer camera, a, a black cat, because that was a joke. But he said the same thing. He said, well, you, that's a baby panther. I said, that we put out? If you're a cat. Oh, y'all put, if y'all you're put a cat, the cat out there on yeah, purpose? Yeah, we put a cat, a black cat, out in front of his, his deer camera. Well, it took yeah. a picture. But surprisingly, the cat looked bigger on camera. I mean, so yeah. in his mind, even though we made this whole thing up, all it did was validate what he's been saying <laughs> in a weird way. And so my po- <laughs> Go those ahead. kind cannot enter the kingdom of God in the spiritual tone. <laughs> he's all right on his he, he's a little wrong on his black cat thing. But but well, that's the mindset. Well, that's what it is. It's a. It's a it's a uh, belligerent and deliberate. De- like y- y- even though you know it's not true, you still use it to confirm what you want to be true. Yep. Well, that, I, yeah, I that's, that's right. That's, that's right. And I'm saying in this narrative, I mean, I think in chapters twelve and thirteen, what you see is is Jesus is executing God's plan, and 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 the work of what He's doing in a big way through him and, and his ministry. You think about it, he's going around, he's teaching, he's healing, showing that he has this supernatural power. He's proclaiming. And then there's two kinds of people that you're running up on, people who reject it and people who accept it. And he's saying in 12 and 13, the one who's giving the seed to be sown is him. He's providing the seed. Well, right. All now, we are is we just go out and we just plant it. Well, what's confusing is in like the parable of the sower, he has four different hearts, but three of them are, are under one category, which is rejection. Rejection. And then you have one that hears it and understand it. They accept it. Because he has a good and honest heart. He's he's open to 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 what God has provided for him. We're just mm-hmm. messengers and farmers sowing it. Our job yeah. is to sow it. It's it's his job to save them or not save them. It's up to him. We just plant the seed, hoping they will believe and raise a crop. Yeah. So so really, let's take a, let's take, let, 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 let's take a quick break. So the controversy today erupted in that the coffee maker got to the end of the bag the Black Rifle edition, and instead of opening a new bag, they just used less grounds. Less grounds because they said, well, we'll say... Bad move. We, we don't, yep, bad move. We want the strongest cup of coffee possible, even if that means opening a new bag. Well, and the, and, and the coffee maker should have known that we have a subscription at the studio to Black Rifle Coffee, so we're not going to run out. It's going to keep coming and for our listeners who are coffee connoisseurs, if you want the kind of coffee that we drink, if you want strong coffee, if you want good coffee, you can go purchase it at blackriflecoffee.com slash fill. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash fill. And by using our code fill at checkout, you're going to get 20% off your purchase, including your first coffee club order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash fill. 
blackriflecoffee.com slash bill. So if you look at the, the two narratives of rejecting Jesus or accepting Jesus, and he uses that phrase, anyone who hears the word and understand it as an explanation. And then even in, in the end of chapter 13, when he tells, the, I think, the most simple parable of the whole chapter, because he now it's simple for us because we were commercial fishermen, but most people would get this concept. I mean, this is... I think this is God not being humorous, but being so simplistic that he has an ironic statement at the end of this, because he's like, in 47, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down in the lake, caught all kinds of fish. Well, whether you're a fisherman or not, you pretty well get this concept. There's different kinds of fish. You put a net out, and you have no control over which one swims in it. When it was full, the fisherman pulled it up on shore. He sat down, collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. I've done it a many a time. I, I get the concept. This one's a good one for eating. This one, not so much. So this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. So there's your two categories. Some go to a fiery furnace, which is horrible and dreadful and he starts talking about gnashing of teeth this is a place you do not want to go and then in 51 he to my point he revisits this theme he said have you understood all these things so i mean why is he asking that because it's the same phrase he used on about the good soul and the good fruit he's like to those who hear this and understand it. Of course, they said, yes. He said, therefore, and, and I think this is an interesting paragraph. Therefore, every teacher of the law who we had a misunderstanding on who Jesus is, because all the arguments are coming from the teachers of the law. So he says, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house. Of course, now we have another parable. Who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So he even made a parable about understanding the parables and, and the opposition that comes from that. So when you think about what that means, because I had never really noticed this phrase till I was studying about this. You got the teachers of the law who had read all these verses in the Old Testament about the coming of the kingdom. Well, now the king of this kingdom that they've read about has shown up. And, and it's new to them because they were not really prepared for how this king would be. Because they, in their mind, going back to size panther narrative it was in just his out mind there in la la land yeah you know, they never seen it they never laid eyes on him so it seems to be having a point that you have to you can't be so close-minded into what you think this is going to be especially when you're on earth you didn't choose to be here you're looking and you've studied but you have in your mind how this thing is going to shake out like a lot of religious leaders today yep. and are not open enough to understand the king is here. And look, when you think about it today, we still have that same problem. They just didn't think he would be in a human body. They they, they yeah. they, they said he's blowing smoke. He's yeah, he can't be God. I mean, well, he's a carpenter. He, he goes on in the next paragraph to say the same thing Nathaniel, you remember when when Nathaniel was called, his brother was like saying, Hey, we found the Messiah. And he's like, really? Where's he from? They said, a little town called Nazareth. He went, nope. Can't, nothing good come out of there. Can't be. Of he came up with that line that, you know, the chosen uses as a tagline. He said, well, come and see. And so really that's where I was going with this. When you think about understanding the definition, understanding seems like a simple word. But if you read the definition, you'll see things like comprehend, grasp, thoroughly familiar with mm -hmm. well how do you get 
thoroughly familiar? Or how do you grasp something? Well, first you got to be searching. Then once you find something, you got to be open-minded enough to realize this may be what what you didn't think it was. It may be something different than what you had in your mind. So as you contemplate, meditate, at some point you you go and see, you experience, you, whether that may be studying or reflecting, but you eventually put into practice what's happening, what what whatever the issue is, in this case, Jesus. I didn't really start to understand it until, until I started trying to be like Jesus, trying to understand Jesus from that way. How is this going to come out in my life? You know, they came up with this this theme of what would Jesus do, which it's really what it what is he doing? What I always go to when I am sowing the seed and trying to plant the seed in their heart, I, I'm looking at their heart and they keep saying, no, no, no. I usually say, but out of all the people who have ever lived, he's on the earth trying to convince them <clears throat> that he's the king of the kingdom. And you're saying along with a mighty throng of other ones, no way. I said, look, what year is it? And I try to convince them just from the year. I said, what year is it? Well, it's 2021. Yeah. I said, 2021 years from, from what? From who? And they're like, well, I said, you're counting time by him. I'm yeah. trying to convince them that it's really him. Well, back when he was on the earth, that's what the problem was. They didn't realize the world's going to end up counting time by him, but I don't think he's the one. Well, how yeah. did the world end up counting time by him if he wasn't the one? Yeah, I you think realize how difficult mm -hmm. it'd be for somebody just to show up and the calendar it's, it's attributed well, you to would, his appearance. Because you're trying to get their attention to be open-minded for just a second. That's why. But I do the same thing with the evidence in creation. I try to, because as an outdoors person, I see all these details of life that supposedly in our public schools that are telling our children came from an explosion with no one orchestrating it. And all of a sudden you see this perfect harmony of life and reproduction and seasons. And Nothing it, has exploded. <laughs> well, you're like, so all this order and symmetry and beauty came from a random explosion of where you don't know even how the things that exploded came from. It's it, hard. It's hard to it's hard sometimes, though, to uh, I, at least I found it very difficult to convince somebody of the of the truth of, of Christ and who he is um, through simply what we call apologetical arguments, which I'm very well versed in and have used. And a lot of those arguments and discussions about the cosmology and science and all that. But I think that um, the role of the Holy Spirit in this is primary. We, we, we I think so often we, we view it as like, we're around trying to search for this thing, and then we discover it. This thing called salvation or God or whatever. Now we understand it because we've been we're like explorers looking for it. But I think it's the, I don't think it happens in that way. I think God reveals Himself to us. So God's primary in what I would, what the Bible call revelation. God reveals Himself to us. There's an interesting passage in Romans 10 that talks about this process of how we come to understanding who God is, at least to the point where we can call on him for salvation. And it's in Romans 10, 14 that says, how then will they call on him who they've not believed in? So in other words, if you don't believe in him, you're not going to call on him. So you get first got to believe in him before you can call on him. Well, then he kind of kicks it back another step. He says, well, how are they going to believe in him if they never heard of him? You know, how, how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? So now if I'm going to believe in him, well, I've got to hear about him. And then I love this next part. Well, how are they going to hear about him without someone preaching? So, if, so how beautiful, um, how, how, and how are they going to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I love this cascade here because he's basically saying that it all starts with God sending 
someone, whether through the scriptures or whether people that God starts, he starts the revelation process by sending someone to go proclaim this news, this the, the new news he's talking about that you just talked about in, in Matthew 13. And then we, we so we they, they hear it from these people that God sent and then they can believe it and then they can call on him. So I think the role of the Holy Spirit in in orchestrating this understanding is is pivotal because when you use the word understanding, I'm thinking, under like I, that's that's for me to comprehend what's been revealed. Yeah. that's how I would define it. Well, that's exactly where I was going, and we didn't talk about this before. But if you go back to chapter twelve and verse eighteen, hold on, let's take a quick break first. So our our next sponsor here is. Some folks that we know pretty well, Samaritan's Purse. Phil, you got any thoughts on Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse? They do an outstanding job, and I do support them 100%. In our own state, well, I'll say our own state, y'all's own state of Louisiana, they're involved in Homa, Louisiana, Greater New Orleans, the North Shore, Lake Charles. They're all over Louisiana doing hurricane relief. And these guys are amazing what they do. Uh, Samaritan's Purse is a Christian international relief organization that helps hurting people around the world in times of crisis. And they do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, which is one of the reasons why we're such supporters of their work. For over 50 years, Samaritan's Purse has been helping victims of poverty, war, famine, persecution, natural disaster here in the U.S. and around the world. I've heard some of the stories of what these guys are able to pull off. It is absolutely amazing. They can get places the U.S. government can't, can't get to. So here's what I need you to do or what we need you to do here on the Unashamed Podcast is to go to SamaritansPurse.org slash unashamed. And we want you to go there to find out how you can get involved with this ministry. If you're looking for a great ministry to get involved in, no matter where you live, what you do, this is a great ministry to, for you guys to look into um, if you really want to see the kingdom move. Uh, there are great testimonies of what God's doing and opportunities to get involved on that website. Again, that website is SamaritansPurse.org, O-R-G, slash unashamed. Go there to learn more. You know, Jesus... He had just had this issue over the Sabbath where he declared that God's righteousness was greater than the law. That's basically was his declaration. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And God's love in that moment gave value to people because he was healing a person that happened to be on the Sabbath day. And here he is the coming king of the kingdom. And he's like, here's how this is going to work. People are more valuable than your little narrative of, of keeping rules. And he, he kind of embarrassed them by saying, well, you would get a sheep out of a pit. You wouldn't help somebody if, you know, so, so he embarrasses them because that narrative didn't fit. We have a misunderstanding here of how to keep the Sabbath and what, what that means. And so out of that, Watch what happens when, you know, they, they begin to plot to kill him. Well, we have rejection because that, that doesn't fit their narrative. So this argument has es escalated to where, like, not only do we not agree with We need you, to kill him. We need to kill this guy. <clears throat> yeah. Because the ramifications of this Man. is horrible. Which And all he was doing which was, proves his point. was elevating the value of people over keeping this law. So aware of that they were going to kill him in verse 15... He brings up this point. He quotes this verse in verse 18. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice of the nation. So God's work through Jesus was being declared by the work of the Spirit of God. This was the Spirit of God working in this religious argument about the Sabbath yeah. Well, then he brings it up again in verse 28, because then they say, well, you're just, you have a demon, and you're driving out demons because you are one. So they try to kill him. Now they say he's demon-possessed. But in verse 28, he brings this up again. It says, but if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So they, they get into that argument about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, because he's saying, I'm sitting here doing this work, showing that people are valuable, trying to remove evil from people's lives through the Spirit of God. 
And so you see that also in, in, in a story we didn't read, but in verse 43, when he said, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put into order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and he's worse off in the end. Well, we know from other verses that when we surrender to God and he gives, he makes available so this doesn't happen, he gives us the Holy Spirit. We replace our selfish ambition. I think the principle is the same here. He's like, God God moves in. Because what happens if God doesn't move in? And even if you try to do what's right in this world, I mean, not saying there's some kind of evil, you know, demon possession, but just people have tried it over and over and over to get their life right without the Spirit of God. Well, what happens? Doomed to failure. It just, the pattern keeps repeating itself and it, it may just, you may get into one thing and then get into another. And But the bottom line is, it's just not a recipe for success without the Spirit of God. So I said all that to say this. I think one thing we didn't talk about in Matthew 13 that, I, that hit me is that just like seeds are planted by a farmer, farmers tend to take for granted the actual growth process of the seed. Now we we know we take it for granted when when a seed is planted, it has to be under the ground and then it has to have water. Well, all of a sudden it starts growing. And they they kind of take credit for that. But there's something about life being given on our planet that is not in our control. And he's using that as an example of what happens spiritually. When God say, does make it grow, or it's not going to grow. Yeah, so that's, that's, where, I, that's where I was going for that. In 1 Corinthians 3, we had an argument because people, we had a misunderstanding. These people mm-hmm. started following the people that were sowing the seed, Paul or Apollos or whatever, and so they had divisions. They're like, well, I'm with this group. No different from what happens in the modern religious culture today. People go to different groups of people based on who the preacher is or whatever. And they're like, I'm, I'm going with this guy or I'm going with this guy. And ultimately you should be going with Jesus and we should all just be sowing that same seed, but they have this issue. And so in first Corinthians three, six, listen to this. It says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Yeah. Yeah. So neither he, who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And then he launches into this, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and that foundation is Christ. If any man builds on a foundation using, you know, and then he lists all these earthly, physical things, his earth, will, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire. And then he gets to verse 16, which is where I was trying to get in Zach's point. Don't you know that you are yourselves God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? It, it's the same principle that Jesus was showing on what God is like and his work and his plan. And you had this opposition, you had misunderstanding, you had rejection, but you had some people who grasped it, who, who experienced it and who got it. And then all of a sudden they just took the same example as Jesus surrendered. God gives his spirit and then He's basically functioning, and I say they, we, as Jesus on the earth through the same power of the Spirit. Yep, exactly. Let's take a quick break. Man, I think that that's a great point because when you are reading the, the, these passages about you know Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, because some people hear this, right? They hear the same exact information, 
and they do not accept it. In fact, they reject it like the Pharisees did. And then you have others who receive the same information and they accept it. And I was thinking about these Pharisees um, in, in, in the book of Matthew and his account of the Gospels. Um, Jesus performs miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they say, nah, we don't believe that's from God. He gives them a very rational and logical argument um, when, he, when he gave them the reason about the, if I, if I cast out demons by the, by the name of the, and I'm of the devil, then a house divided can't stand. Like, but if, I, if I'm doing it not by the devil, then it's by the Spirit, which means the kingdom's come upon you. He gives them a rational argument that's based in logic. They reject that. I mean, they're they're getting they're getting their revelation. They just continue to reject it, and then you have these other guys, these these rogue fishermen, for example, that hear it and they're like, "I'm following you." You say, "What's what's the difference between these two people? Why do some reject and others don't?" And and that's by the way a very highly debated question, but I don't think it needs to be. I think it's because some people they don't want to sacrifice their own autonomy. They're like, "I'm not sacrificing my autonomy." And, and, and to, to, to understand Christ, and you mentioned it in 1 Corinthians, there's that passage in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, I believe, that says uh, the, the mind, the, the, uh, a natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is unable to understand them. Why? Well, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is not to be judged. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct them? But we have the mind of Christ. You've got to have, you really got to have the mind of Christ to begin to have spiritual discernment as God reveals some of these things to you. And so if you want your own autonomy and you're like, nah, I'm not, I'm not taking on somebody else's mind. I'm going to do it in my own mind. Well, you're never going to get there. Because you can't understand it. Exactly. You have to have his mind. That's the same you know? conclusion that I got. You have to be open-minded enough to look at these red letters, immerse yourself into them, get to know who Jesus is, then start looking at the signs of what he was saying in life, in modern-day life. And as you experience that, because I remember doing this when I first came to Christ, and even though it was hard to see a lot of times that he he is right in the condition of people and that we all have the same problems, you just start experiencing it through the conversations and the word being presented. And I mean word as in Jesus being introduced. You start uh -huh. noticing that it's the same exact thing on our planet. It, it becomes more simplistic in your mind on the problem of mankind, which is ultimately sin, and, and this lack of surrender to letting God be in control. You are correct. <clears throat> it's amazing. Outstanding point. Well, I put down, I wrote down a few things, and, and I got these from the verses that we just read in the parable of the sower. But reasons people reject or don't understand, or, you know, going back to the, the narrative of, we make up in our minds what we think this is like. So like, for example, I took a few things. When he used the third heart, he said the one who received the, th the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. Just like the, the last heart, which was a good heart, but instead of understanding the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, choked it. So I, I just wrote down a few things. So, so you, you're like, well, how come someone can't see Jesus in this case because of their wealth or, or the anxieties of life or the power of life? Because you think about when it comes to wealth, well, Jesus, he didn't seem wealthy. Didn't have any money that I know of. Yeah, I mean, we had just we just read in the previous chapter where he was like, he was homeless. You know, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, which we'll get into in the next chapter on what happened to him. He didn't he didn't have any any money, and really the only time it it came up like when it's like, well, we need to pay our taxes. He's like, yeah, go down there and catch a fish, and you'll find a couple coins in his mouth. Go, so. 
it's the narrative is different where Jesus starts that Sermon on the Mount saying, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that's just not a, yeah. that's not appealing. I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> it just doesn't fit. And so you remember the famous story when the guy said, hey, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he's like, well, keep the commandments. He's like, kept them. So I don't know if he'd kept all of them and, but he was a pretty good fella. You were getting the impression. So Jesus is like, well, go sell everything you have. Well, that was a deal breaker. Yep. That was and a deal breaker. So that's why he couldn't understand because he's looking at how we feel about money. And look, everybody likes a handful of money, but he's like, that's not going to, that's not going to do it for you. Yep. Well, well, my mom used my mom used to always say, uh, she said, and she said, I don't care nothing about money, I don't care nothing about it, and I'd say, yeah, but you sure you like the things that money can buy? <laughs> but yeah. uh, you think about it, why is money so why is money so appealing? It's because money is power, and I think what's happening here is I've said it before in the last few episodes. There's a power dynamic shift that's happening here that what Jesus is getting at, and I think that. The reason why the rich young ruler, why he didn't want to give it up, because he, you're giving up power, you're giving up your autonomy, you're giving up, and you think you think you're giving up control, and so when you are, but I mean, but you're gaining so much more, you don't really have control anyways. That's that's yeah. that's the irony of the whole thing. You you don't really have control. I mean, you can you can pretend that you do, but as Phil would say, uh, or I remember he used to say this all the time. He would say, uh, you all have a uh, you know, the date with destiny or you're going to be put six feet under pushing up daisies. Like yeah. you can't control it in the end. And so I think to, to submit to God is to ultimately to submit to, to the fact that he's controlling, uh, the, the, sorry, not that he's controlling, that he's loving, but he's in control. But what's happening here is, you know, Jesus has said he's speaking in parables for a reason because he wants to hide. He wants to hide this from people. And I think the reason why he wants to hide it is the same reason because he wants people to respond to him in a certain way. You all, we all know that that old rich guy that has this young, beautiful wife, and what? And if he said, "Why is she with him?" What, what's the reason? The old rich guy with a young, beautiful wife. Why is she with him? Money. She's with him for his money. Money, money talks. He's, she's with him for his of, power. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's because it's the power, though. The, 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 so I think what it God's saying is... It can't help you is, with your mortality. No, it can't get you out of the grave. No. But I think what you're seeing is this continual thing unfold here with, this, with what Jesus is getting at is I don't think Jesus wants us to come to the Father just because we're, we want, you know, well, he's so powerful, I'm going to come to him. That's not a real relationship. Yeah. You know, uh, he wants us to come because God is, is beautiful, and he's revealing that to us. And so if somebody's only going to come to this because they uh, of the power of God, I mean, that's going to happen at the end, right? Philippians 2 says that. At the end of time, everybody's going to see his power and be like, hit the deck, your Lord, but not everybody's going to be with him. Yeah. The people that are going to be with him are the people who want to be with him, that love him because of who he is. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. You're missing the boat because you're too consumed. You're power hungry. Yeah, I agree. Look, I had wealth as opposed to God calling us to be poor in spirit, in attitude, in the spiritual. Then the second one I have was power, which is what you brought up. Which because our idea. Well, I stole. Well, I stole your thunder, so I'm sorry, but let's take a quick break and let's hit that one. No, but I just I was going to make the same point you made that, you know, God has always given us victory through surrender, which seems like the least powerful thing you can do. But then it allows God to use our weaknesses in powerful ways. And you got so mm -hmm. many passages about that. But then the third, I had pleasures because most people, when they think of pleasures, they're never thinking of the definition of God's joy, which he brings up, which is actually 
in some ways suffering for the kingdom or being persecuted. He spent a lot of time in, in, in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount talking about that. You remember what the Apostle Paul said when he's talking about what, what had come his way. He said, having nothing but possessing everything. Yeah, that's I mean, an excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I thought about this in the in the pleasures though. If you try to sow seed, well you're gonna be you're gonna be persecuted. I mean it he said it it is going to happen. You'll yeah. bank on it. Well, meanwhile you say, What's the alternative? Well, people don't wanna they don't wanna suffer. They don't wanna be persecuted. That's so which led to the next one I put, these are reasons people don't understand or reject. People are comfortable in religious settings and in, in rituals that they're comfortable there. M- most churches, when you go there and you think, well, we need to, you know, we need to do something, get some fire and we need to fire this place up. This seems dead or whatever phrase we use. And, and people don't realize that people like those settings. They like doing the same thing over and over and then being comfortable. And so when you look at, trying to be like Jesus in this world, if you try to be like Jesus exactly the way he was in this world, you better get ready for being uncomfortable. Because when you bring him up in a worldly setting or you start trying to invite people or help people who are dying or be compassionate or help the poor, all these things that Jesus was doing, you, you better get out of your comfort zone. Yep. Not only trouble and persecution, but it's just people are messy. We're we're messy. They're messy. So I'm saying it's a lot of work. Yeah. So I'm saying these are, but these are reasons people reject, and they don't understand because they're not willing, based on fear yeah. or you know, to to step out. So uh, the next one I had, and this comes from those seeds being spilled along the path, is it says the evil one came. And snatched them up in in the form of, of birds. But I think a lot of people underestimate the spiritual warfare of this whole existence. No doubt. You know, it, it's not really about us or the people. There is a spiritual war going on, and we have plenty of passages to see about that. But people are fearful of getting involved in that. They, they just rather be comfortable and leave me alone. I'm staying out of that. And the last one I had was when he said this about the worries of this life or the anxieties of life, choke it. Well, there's a lot of things you can get into in this life that have the appearance of, of doing good, whether it be politics uh, or like having a career in life. We talk about careers or, you know, health care or, you know, being being conscious of how can we what do we do you know with the coronavirus or if you could come up with something that was a vaccine or or you know even when it comes to terrorism if we could do something to stop that or all the wars that have come up or even doing something about crime or I'm bringing all these things up because these are things we worry about or get involved in but compared to God's plan and God's work and God's purpose in our lives, these things are not as important. Watch this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Mm -hmm. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And then he started talking about the downside of following that money and just chasing money to the point to where he yeah. said, you've been better off. You'll just be content with what you have. Yeah. What do you think, Zach? Well, the interesting thing about those five, I, I wrote down five things that you said. I may have missed one, but it was money, power, pleasure, comfort, and worry. Was that it? Yeah, worry, and I had the spiritual war. The answer is godliness with contentment. And the spiritual, yeah, that, that the, well, the spiritual war in that people, people just, don't want to get involved in the day-to-day. I mean, they want to just, it's kind of like, uh, you know, in a physical war, being a conscientious objector. But I got that when yeah. he said the evil one came and snatched away what was so, because a lot of people, they just don't want to get involved. And they're 
the the idea of good and evil in this battle and the evil one yeah. there they that just it's not a that's not a place they want to go. <laughs> it's yeah. a fight and they don't want to get into the fight. I think I I brought that up cuz of people who just look is and say, "Well, yeah, Jesus was here. He was just he was a good person." Yeah, sometimes they get snatched away by by people in the church even like you think about this whole idea of the kingdom there's there's all there is some bad weeds in the church and and sometimes they will try to snatch the believer out they'll try to or they'll try to snatch someone who just received the word uh, but I was thinking about all those things you mentioned Jace or at least the five I, I wrote down that there is it's funny because they're all lies mm-hmm. you know I mean every one of them's a lie uh, you know it's a, a fear of money uh, or, or love of money but as the a verse that Phil mentioned. Who was that you mentioned? Phil? Was that John the Baptist? He had nothing that had everything. Yeah, what was well, that? That's the Apostle Paul telling a young preacher, Timothy. That's in First uh, Timothy six, about verse eight. Yeah, that was a good one. About six or seven. Well, even he's even, giving yes. you the solution, and then giving you the pitfalls of yeah. chasing money. So you get, that's the thing, and so like even like the power, but God says, "Well, you're going to have my power in you, the pleasure. I'm going to give you all the joy, comfort. I'll come to me. I'll give you rest. Worry. Who can you know by worrying add a single day to his life? It, all these things that prevent us, you know, the, or I say us that prevent the the three out of four for you know from coming to 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 Jesus. They're all based in a lie." And that's, I mean, that's the interesting thing about it. It's all based in a lie. That's why Jesus says, I am the truth and nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's why, that's where the understanding comes in. Understanding is to possess and manifest the truth of what God's revealed. Yep. So look, we're out of time though. So um, that was fun. Last couple episodes, have Miss Kay in and here we are solo. I'll I'll send her home to you, Phil, so you can have something better than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, uh, it's bad when the cook runs out on you. <laughs> See y'all next time. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.